All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you found that, hope I gave you enough time. 2 Corinthians 8, we'll uh, read verse 9. Now what I'm going to do, we're going to parachute in. Just drop in something we haven't been reading and hopefully pick up the context in the course of the sermon but spend all of our time looking at this one verse. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. <clears throat> For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Join me as we pray. <clears throat> Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us, that you would bring healing and hope, that you would return joy. Father, I pray that waves of forgiveness that have been bought for us by the blood of Jesus would pour in today. God, I pray that you would bring and renew a, a hope and a restoration. God, I pray that this day, this rainy Sunday, might be the day that starts the healing. So we ask you to help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe see. <clears throat> you probably have noticed by now I wear a suit every Sunday. I wear a suit every Sunday mostly because it's my uniform. I wear a suit because I don't have the fashion sense to say uh, Gerald has. I just don't have it. It's a compliment, Gerald. There's no backhand to it. I don't have that. Uh, I don't have that fashion sense. So you, with a suit, you don't have to think about it. You put a suit on, and it's probably going to be gray or blue will be the suit. And your shirt underneath is going to be blue or white. So it takes all of the guessing out of it. So all i got to do is pick out a tie that, that doesn't scare the children, and we're off to go. <laughs> Wear a suit a few times before I'll take it off to the cleaners. And sometimes uh, when I put the suit on, put my hand in the pocket, I'll find things in my pocket. Now and then I'll find a piece of peppermint or, or sometimes a note someone gave me. Oftentimes uh, children will draw pictures of me. And I'll, have a, I'll put in my pocket and there's a, there's a picture of me. From time to time, there are shining instances when I put my hand in my pocket and find a $20 bill. And in the distance, I can hear a hallelujah chorus. <laughs> As the angels celebrate the treasure that I have found in my suit pocket. Now, this one little verse is like that treasure. We're going to reach in and find more than we expected to find. This little verse is tucked away in a teaching, a sort of pragmatic section on giving. Paul is in, in the midst of teaching the church how to give and, and tucked in there, sort of like the prayer of Jabez, tucked in there is this profound doctrinal jackpot. It's just 21 words in Greek. If you were reading it in Greek, it's just 21 words. Found in the middle of Paul teaching how to give. He's discussing offering. He's talking about taking up an offering for the poor people, poor brothers and sisters in another city in Jerusalem. So he's going to the churches, trying to get an offering. They're going to help the Christians in 
Jerusalem. In verses 1 through 8, he lifts up this church in Macedonia. He says, look, it's just a blue-collar church. They don't have very much money. They're poor, and that church in Macedonia has given, and if they can do it, you can do it. And it's as if he knows that's not working. So verse 9, Paul turns his attention to the Lord Jesus. And in our text, he has upped the ante and he is holding up for us Jesus Christ as the greatest example of love and sacrifice that the world has ever known. And today, what I want to do, the short time that we have together, I just want to take all of our time here at verse 9. We don't, we don't always do this. A lot of times we'll have a narrative. It may be 18 verses and we go through. It's a storyline you're trying to follow. Today it's one verse and we compress it down. And what I want to do today is, is squeeze this verse for all the soul-satisfying nutrients that we can get. And get your mind on the coming Lord Jesus and all that it brings. I want you to take heart. I want you to take heart because there is hope for us because of Christmas. What is Christmas about? There is hope for us because of Christmas. Now, from this text today, there are several things I want you to do. I'm going to use the word take. I want you to take. Several things I want you to take. Here's the first one, number one. I want you to take hold of what you already know. The overwhelming majority of you sitting in this room right now, you don't need another doctrine. You don't need me to give you a better thought. You don't come to me because I've got such profound things to say. I recognize that I do not. You're not going to walk out of here with some new truth. The overwhelming majority of the people sitting in this room right now need to take hold of what you already know. You see it in verse 9? What does Paul say? For you know, look at it, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that grace. Look, are you, are you, are you depressed? Are you defeated? Are you sad? Are you discouraged? You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you burdened? Are you hurt? Have you been hurt? Have you been just torpedoed, hurt by somebody? You know his grace. Or, or maybe you walked in, maybe you walked in guilty. Guilty is a terrible thing. Waves of guilt or shame. You've come in. Now let me just say to you, brother, you know, this is your verse for you. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today I want you to take hold of that which you actually already know. See that word grace? You ought to underline it in your Bible. Grace. What is grace? There are a bunch of ways to define grace. It has been uh, defined for us, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is that grace? A couple of ways to look at it. You can say grace is unearned love. So love that you're given, even though you don't deserve it. Unearned love or, or unearned kindness or undeserved goodness that Jesus feels toward you and gives to you. A good way to, to, uh, to think through the word grace is to break it up into a couple of sections. So I'm just going to give you three. There are several ways you can do it. 
this is the way I've chosen to do it. You'd like to, to help us maybe understand what is this kindness of God? good way to think about grace is you can think about common grace. Common grace, what is that for? Everybody gets common grace. Or sustaining grace is more specific to God's people, carries you through. Common grace, sustaining grace. And then there is saving grace. Saving grace, that is specific grace for those that are in Christ. Let's go through them very quickly. <clears throat> what is what is common grace? Well, we hear it raining outside. The Bible says that <clears throat> the Lord sends rain on those that are just and those that are unjust. He sends rain on everybody. Everybody's getting rain today. Whether you're a nice person or a mean person, it's going to rain on your head today. You had a cup of hot coffee this morning? That was common grace. Hot coffee, in my mind, is common grace. Amen. Common grace. Bottled water, common grace. That is grace that everybody can get. You had air in your tires that got you here today as you rode to church. That is common grace. Even evil people in cars have air in their tires. Common grace. You sit in air conditioning whether you're mean or nice. Air conditioning, common grace. If you get sick or hurt and you go to the doctor, the, the fact that we have people, men and women, that have that sort of training that can help us, that is a common grace. A doctor will treat you whether you are a Christian or not. Common grace. If you fall in love, common grace. Non-Christians fall in love. Whoever invented the umbrella, common grace. Thankful for that today. Electricity, common grace. A good steak on the plate, common grace. Chocolate is common grace. Plastic, com an American-made V8 is common grace. Change of seasons from summertime to the fall to the winter to the spring. That is, you don't have to be a Christian to go and see how beautiful the beach is and the ocean. You might not think about God, but it is common grace that it is there for you. The mountains, to see how beautiful they are, common grace. Grace. You have a good pet. The gift. Common grace. Unless it's a cat and it came from somewhere else. <laughs> Just kidding about cats. Don't send me anything about cats. Cats are fine. Cats are fine. If you have indoor plumbing, that's common grace. You don't have to be a Christian to have that. Everybody gets that. Penicillin, common grace. There are 10,000 other things that you might could just list out that God in His kindness has given to us that it didn't happen because you were a Christian. That even in this fallen world, God in His kindness, although creation is condemned and cursed, there are pictures of common. It's common grace. And Paul says, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's also sustaining grace. Think with me now. <clears throat> We're at the end of the year. Look back over it. Look back. 2023, 2022, back 2021. Think of all that God has carried you through. Think, think of what he has seen you through. Sickness, we battled sickness, hurt. I mean, hurt, just, just hurt so bad. I've heard it said that going through a divorce is harder than dying. There's some of you who have been through that and here you're sitting and and now you, Paul says to you, you know the grace of God, the sustaining grace. Had a death in the family. You know, if you've, if you've walked through that, you're, you've made it here. Here you are. That is God's grace. It is sustaining grace. You've experienced a tragedy. 
Right now you have an ongoing, maybe you have an ongoing family struggle and it breaks your heart to think about it. And yet here is God's sustaining grace. He's carrying you through. You know, he says, take hold of that. Holidays are hard for some people. It's hard. Just difficult to walk into and out of. And you see all the shiny, happy people, things are going well, get on Facebook and it looks like everybody has a wonderful life. And you think, why isn't mine? It's good for you to think. Hear what Paul says. You know the grace of God. You know what he's done for you. Disappointments. I have two people in the last couple of weeks that have mentioned losing a job. It's tough to lose a job around Christmas. You've got children. You've lost a job, and here you are. And you know, look, brother, you know the grace of God. You know that sustaining grace. Mistakes you've made. Maybe you've made mistakes, things you wish you had done differently. Uh, saying the word mistake, <clears throat> by the way, feels amoral. In other words, it doesn't have a moral tinge. If you make a mistake, it's just you, you, you chose the wrong car. Nothing sinful about that. Let's just not use that terminology. Let's, let's not say you've made a mistake. Let's say that you stepped into sin. You willfully sin, purposefully, that it's your fault. You've walked in, you feel the burden of that, you feel the weight of that. I'm just going to point you to this, this verse 9. Now look, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is, is grace. You know the grace. Maybe somebody has just, there's been just ab the absolute, they've done you absolutely wrong. The absolute worst thing done to you. Take hold of what you know. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're homesick or lovesick, been mistreated at work, cancer diagnosis. But you, you didn't want that. I think you live long enough to get cancer. You've been handed this here. You got it now. You, brother, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the promise that God gave his people in the midst of, of turmoil? Isaiah 43, verse 2. Got to pray this promise. Isaiah 43, 2. God says, when you, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame, and say it's not hot, the flame will not consume you. You got to take that verse right there and just start praying that God help me. I need you to help me here. What is he saying here? Take hold of of what you know. That's common grace and sustaining grace, but, but really as Christians we understand grace has another, another feel. It's a, a, a salvation feel. What is saving grace? You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That all of your hope, all of your trust, all of your righteousness are found in Christ. That's what the gospel is. It's the gospel of grace. The saving grace of God. Now look, if you're a, <clears throat> if you're a visitor here with us today, or let's say you hadn't been to church in a while, and been in church in a while, you've been coming to church, but there's a part of you that doesn't feel worthy. Like you don't feel worthy. That is the exact right thing to feel. My job is not to make you feel worthy. Part of my job is to show you that you are not. If you were worthy, you wouldn't need grace. You were worth it. Grace says, I give you something even though you don't deserve it. And here's what Paul says, you, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. Grace is the gospel. Grace is the picture of what the Bible teaches us about God who created us in his image, all of us. 
created Adam and Eve in his image, male and female, put them in a garden that's perfect and wonderful, and immediately they fall into sin, and all of their descendants, that's us, every person that's ever born came into this world with that sort of tendency. You don't have to be taught to sin. Now, sin is not just a mistake. It's not just doing things wrong. It's not just messing up. Sin is an actual crime against God, and crime must be punished. The Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. What sin earns is death. But it's not just a dying physically. It is a complete spiritual death. It's, a, it's an obliterating kind of terrible, sending us to hell. And in that condition, we are not worthy. And yet God loves us to the degree he sends his own son, Jesus. This is the, this is the Christian gospel. Jesus Christ lives perfectly on earth. He does so as a man. He did what Adam and Eve should have done. He does it, the second Adam. And he also goes to the cross. And at the cross, what does he do there? Remember, we deserve punishment. The wages of sin is death. That's what the cross is. Jesus takes what we deserve and then gives us his righteousness. And the way that is appropriated, the way you get that is not being good the way you get that is you trust that Jesus did that for you. And Paul says, look, what are you carrying? You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So brother, take hold. Sister, take hold of what you already know. I'm going to give you a second thing to consider to take hold of. Number two, <clears throat> why don't you take seriously, I want you to take seriously who you know. Take seriously who you know. You see it in verse 9. <clears throat> this is what he says. Let's put the emphasis on the title now. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's unusual for Paul to use that title in the middle of a letter. Sometimes he puts it at the end of his writings. It feels like a creed here. It feels like he's making some sort of doctrinal statement. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like he's making a slow down. The Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the full name of the incarnate God. The Lord Jesus Christ. Let's talk through each phrase briefly. What does it mean that he is the Lord? Isn't that what Paul said to us in Philippians chapter 2? Do you know that hymn, Philippians 2, from about verse 5 all the way down, verse 9 or 10? That God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, you know the rest, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. What does it mean he's Lord? It means that he has accomplished the act of redemption. He has done what is necessary for you to be saved. Several words to describe lordship. I'll give you just a couple. One big word is the word sovereignty. What is the word sovereignty? What does it mean that, that Jesus is sovereign? If he is Lord, he is sovereign. It means that he is, he is master over your life. That he has been given control over your actions and your dreams and your future and your situation. That if he is king and sovereign, you yield to him, the Lord. And it means another thing. It means that he has prerogative. Prerogative, prerogative. Uh, I, I like to have prerogative as, 
as an American, I understand prerogative. We understand individual rights. I want to be able to choose for myself. That's my prerogative. And what Jesus says is, I have prerogative. Lord means prerogative. It's the image of the potter and the clay. What Paul says in Romans 9 is, will the clay say to the potter, why did you make me like this? The idea is, no, the potter has all of the prerogative to do with the clay whatever the potter desires to do. Prerogative. There's something else here uh, when you think about the lordship, that he's lord. That means if he is lord, he is due our devotion. He's due our devotion. When I say devotion, I mean, uh, I mean worship. Like I hate, I, hate, I hate to hear on Saturdays it's going to rain. I hate it. I hate it for Sunday. I hate, I, I'm tired of the weatherman telling y'all it's going to be a really rainy day all day Sunday. I wish you would just be quiet on Saturday nights. And tell you it's going to be windy, it's going to flood, and it's true. I mean, it's terrible. It's terrible out there. But you know what I, is encouraging is that there are enough people of all ages. It took a lot to get here, to walk. I mean, we, our parking lot so far from the building. To be here to worship. Why? Because he is Lord, you see, and he is due whatever I can give him to take seriously the lordship of Jesus over your life. It might be something for you to start thinking about, for you know the grace of the Lord. But it's not just the Lord. There's another name there. It's the name Jesus. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, and he's talking to him about all that's going to happen, he's describing what's going to happen with Mary, and in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel of the Lord says to Joseph, Now look, <clears throat> Mary will bear a son. She's going to have a, she's going to have a baby, a son. You will, name, you will call his name Jesus. And there's a reason. For he will save his people from their sins. Here is Jesus, not just the lordship, but the humanity. Not just the deity, but the humanity. Here is Jesus. Here's the mortality of Jesus. They will be born like every other baby that's been born. He will one day breathe his last on the cross. Here is Jesus living as a man resisting temptation. Here is Jesus keeping all the rules. Read the Ten Commandments, kept every single one of them. All of God's law keeps them. Here is Jesus. He's doing what Adam and Eve should have done. They were at one time in fellowship with God. Here is God the Son, Jesus, in perfect fellowship with the Father. Look, when, when you aren't righteous, you look to Jesus who is. Like when you feel the weight of your own sin, you look to Jesus who is perfect. The theologians used to, the old phrase for this was alien righteousness. Not aliens from out of space, alien from somewhere else. That the righteousness you possess is not what you have earned. It was given to you by someone else. Jesus takes away your condemnation, your guilt, your shame, and gives you his righteousness. You should take the life of Jesus seriously. See, you know, Paul said, Paul, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus. But it's not just the Lord Jesus. He put that title on the end, right? The Lord Jesus. Here's the title. Christ. Jewish Messiah. 
the anointed one, anointed by God before the foundation of the world. All the, you read the Bible, what you have in the Bible from the very beginning, all the symbols, all the types, all of the foreshadowings, all of that found in the Old Testament point to Jesus. All the prophecies, all the predictions point to Jesus. All of the pictures of, of rulership, Joshua pointed to Jesus. The judges, even in their sin, showed us we needed Jesus. Saul is a terrible king. We find David who, who shows us what a king is to be, and a king like David would come. They all point to Christ. They point to Christ the king. And look, your, <clears throat> your joy, your hope, your strength, your forgiveness, your future are found in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know this already. I want you to take hold of what you know, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to take seriously who you know. He is the Lord, sovereign. He is Jesus who lived and died for you. He is Christ, the King. Take seriously who you know. I'm going to give you a third point. I'll make this just a three-point sermon. I had a, a fourth one. I, hopefully, I've brought the fourth one into the third. You can let me know later how I did with it. Here's number three. I want you to take, take to heart the meaning of Christmas. So take it to heart. What is the meaning of Christmas? Here's what it says. Let's read, let's read it halfway. Don't finish it out yet. Just look at verse 9. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, comma, yet for your sake, comma, he became poor. Here's the incarnation. You see it right there. That, that is Jesus becoming a man. He was rich. For your sake, he became poor. Let's break that down further and kind of trot through it. Here's the first phrase. He was rich. He was rich. What do we mean that he was rich? None was richer than Jesus. Jesus would say, before Abraham was, I am. In his pre-incarnate state, what that means is before he became a man. Before Christmas, he was rich. Jesus, existing from eternity past, rich. Jesus, existing from eternity past, endlessly, endlessly happy, in uninterrupted fellowship with God the Father, there was God the Son. God the Father and God the Son there in the presence of billions of angels, all of them worshiping. He was rich. There he existed in unapproachable glory. He was rich. Perfect love, perfect peace, perfect holiness, perfect joy. Perfect sustenance. He didn't need anything. Didn't depend on anyone outside of himself for his own existence. There has never been a time when he did not exist. The way Paul says in Philippians 2, the great hymn, <clears throat> that although he was in the form of God, he was rich. Although he was in the form of God, he became poor. That's the incarnation. 
He became poor. What did Paul say in Philippians 2, 6? Although he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What did he do? He emptied himself. He became poor. Took the form of a servant. Now, this is where you dial in Christmas. He became poor. Born of a woman, a peasant woman named Mary, became poor. Born under the law, didn't have enough even for the right sacrifice. Born under the law. Romans 8 says he was born into, born into the likeness of sinful flesh. Hebrews 2 tells us that, that he was born and billions of angels used to worship him. Now he, for a little while, was made lower than the angels. Became poor. Left heaven's glory. Came to earth and would be tempted in every way, although never sinned. Jesus would be told, look, I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus himself would say, look, the foxes, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. That although he was rich, he became poor. What does it mean he became poor? Rejected, ridiculed, persecuted, betrayed, suffered, spat upon, beaten, crucified, dead, poor. Although he was rich, he became poor. Now, you have those two phrases. Look back in the middle. Go back with me to verse 9. Although he was rich, he became poor. Look at that phrase in the middle. Do you see it? Beautiful phrase. Although he was rich, yet for your sake. Do you feel the, how personal? Yet for your sake, he became poor. It is intensely personal. From the highest heaven, Jesus descended to earth, goes to the cross and the grave for your sake. Now, <clears throat> now, there's, there's got to be a purpose in here. This is how I'll end it. Let's end up the phrase. What is the purpose? Well, do you see that little phrase? Look with me, verse 9. You see that little phrase, so that? That's the purpose clause. Let me read it. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. Here's the purpose. So that, here's the good news. By his poverty, you might become rich. You see that? You feel that? That's what's known as the purpose clause. It's the purpose of Christmas. What is the purpose of Christmas? So that by his poverty, you. So you might become rich. Not like the prosperity preachers would tell you the riches of this world. Rust and moth destroy. What is the richness that he's talking about? It's the, it is the full blessings, all the blessings of God. It means to go from being a slave to sin to being adopted as a child of God. If you're in Christ, you are God's child. It goes to the idea of, of you being restored. You've fallen, and what the gospel says, by God's grace in Jesus, you can be restored. Here's the promise of your own soul healing right here. You feel the burden of guilt and you feel that? You need to run to this verse right here and see that through his poverty, that guilt is gone. You've become rich, you see. Relief and, and, and joy and hope and inheritance and eternal life. Now, when you get to the back of this book, you get to the, the book of Revelation and there <clears throat> Jesus is, is, is rebuking the churches in Revelation chapter 3. It's a church that feels like they're doing pretty good. It feels like I'm doing pretty good. Like I'm all right. 
And Jesus says to that church, you are wretched and pitiable and poor and blind, naked. And here, Paul tells the greatest news possible. Hey, get your, get your chin up. You, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that, so that you, by his poverty, might be made rich. There is hope. There is hope for us because of Christmas. Take hold of it now. Take, take hold of what you already know. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus. Take serious who you know. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Take to heart the meaning of Christmas so that through his poverty, you might be made rich. Amen. With your heads bowed this morning, to you join me? Word of prayer and commitment. With your heads bowed, I'd like to just ask a couple of reflective questions. The first one, in your mind, look outward now. Look outward in your mind. <clears throat> Who do you know? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Who do you know that actually knows this? Like, like maybe they're not living it, not following Christ, but they know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've heard the gospel, understand it, maybe even have affirmed it before. And, and so, so today's a good time to pray that they would take hold of what they know. For some of those that have gone wayward, maybe you can think of someone right now. It's not that, that she doesn't know the gospel. She's not taking hold. Take hold. When we sing today, it's good to pray for them. You pray for that person. It's a good specific time to pray for them. How about you? How, how have you, how have you, let's turn inward now. How have you doubted? Do you, do you need to take hold? Have you forgotten? You, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what Christmas is for. Have you forgotten grace, the common grace, or the sustaining grace? Have you forgotten that's what the gospel is, grace. Receive the grace of God found in Jesus. Father in heaven, I pray in the name of Jesus that real grace would take hold and take root. God, I pray that you will show yourself. I pray that this passage would would be nourishment and cleansing and healing, that this begins a new start. We thank you for the grace that we know, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you move in your people and the hearts of those that need help and healing. We ask it in Jesus' name.